click drive time keeping you informed and inspired we love god we ought to be able to talk about him getting you started on your day with the latest in breaking news and information from the vatican to the white house and everything in between it's serious it's fun it's your catholic drive time howdy howdy praise be to god it's good to be here today is friday february 17th 2023 it is the feast of the seven holy founders of the servite order the seven holy founders of the Servite Order were seven young Florentines who between 1225 and 1227 withdrew from the world to live for God alone. Inspired by a vision of the Virgin Mary, they withdrew to the wild slopes of Monte Scenario and lived a life of austerity. The bishop and the cardinal there visited them, and after they had prayed for a light, the Virgin Mary appeared to them again and told them to become her servants and to wear the black habit while following the rule of St. Augustine. From that date, April 13, 1240, they became known as the Servants of Mary, or the Servites. The Servites are distinguished by their special emphasis on the sorrows of Mary. The order took a form more like that of the mendicant friars, like the Dominicans, the Franciscans, than that of the monastic orders, like the Benedictines. The order received the explicit and formal approbation of Benedict XI in 1304, over 60 years after its foundation. The seven holy founders of the Servite Order, pray for us. And congratulations to you because you made it to Friday. Congratulations. You survived it. And think about all the things that you accomplished this week. You accomplished all the tasks in your to-do list, right? Right? Mm -hmm. Mostly. 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 And, well, you could take a sigh of relief because you just got to get through today and you've made it to the weekend. Do you have any amazing plans this weekend? This Sunday is actually my little sister's birthday. So happy birthday to my sister, Emily. Say a prayer for her, if you would, in your charity. And uh, go check her Instagram account. Uh, check out her Instagram account, Emily Fonseca Art, where you can see some of the uh, probably the best Catholic art available today and i'm not just saying that because it's my sister it's really true and uh other than that what are your plans today tito edwards hey salve adrian well so far i think we are going to go get our taxes done tomorrow so that's that's always a lot of fun very uh enlightening and strenuous and a great way to do some uh, mortification i think yeah the uh taxes you know i'm gonna try to see if my brother will do my taxes for me. He's an accountant now, and he's doing interning at some uh, accounting firm. And I'm like, hey, you wanna do my taxes for me? Nice. And uh, we'll see We'll see how that goes. Let me know, uh, I'll let you guys know what he says. He's probably gonna be like, oh yeah, 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 sure. If you pay me. And I'm gonna, <laughs> and I'm gonna say, okay, well, never mind. I'm just gonna do it myself, it's fine. But yeah, tax season is here. That's a good reminder to everybody. Uh, make sure you go and give your um, extortion money. I mean, uh, pay the money that's due to the government uh, This uh, as soon as you're able to. Render unto Caesar. Render unto Caesar. Um, this is completely off topic. But, you know, I always was uh, of the opinion that why does the government get more money than God gets? We We are entitled to give God... 10%, right? A tithe means 10%. And yet the government asks for more than 10%. It's gotten a bit off the rails, I think. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. 
Bit of a pain, bit of a pain. Well, pray for Tito today because Tito is uh, running the board. Uh, let's see how that goes today. So say a little prayer for Tito as he uh, tries to juggle a lot of things going on today. Uh, so we're going to give him a wide breath of charity today. At 15 past the hour, I really, really wanted to talk about UFO stories all week. But I just haven't because it's not that important and it doesn't really matter. But... All the other important news does not matter to me today. We're going to talk about UFOs. We're also going to mention Ohio just because I think it's so terrible, and I uh, wish that people would talk about it more. At 30 past the hour, Dr. Jay Richards is on with us to talk about how you can fast. It's a lot easier than it sounds, and it may be counterintuitive, but it's actually good for you, physically and spiritually. And in the next hour, we're going to be playing our Fear and Trembling game show. If you want to get the phone number to that ahead of time and call in early, you just have to go to our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to our email list because this afternoon, today, I'm going to be sending out an email with our link to our private Telegram chat. And this is going to be the last opportunity, the last opportunity until Easter to join our private Telegram chat. And we are going to go through this catechism, uh, the Aquinas Catechism, and we're going to go through it together as a CDT team. And when we do, we you're going to be able to follow along with us and help learn your faith in a different uh, in a different catechism. Because you know you have your catechism of the Catholic Church, which Father Mike Schmitz is going through at this moment. But if you want to go through the catechism with us, all you have to do is go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT and sign up for our email list right there. All right, let's jump into our prayer. And we have tons of things to go through today, and I'm sure you do as well. So let's pray for your intentions. I'm praying for whatever it is that you have going on this weekend. I'm praying for the souls and the people suffering in Ohio. And whatever it is that you have, I am praying for that as well. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. And now your headline news with Tito Edwards. Today is Friday, February 17th, and these are your headlines for today. Valerie Richardson at the Washington Times reports that the National Archives has settled the lawsuit brought by pro-life students. The National Archives and Museum has reached agreement with plaintiffs in a lawsuit brought by students who had been told to leave the museum because they were wearing clothing with pro-life slogans. In the consent agreement, the Archives Administration acknowledges that visitors are allowed to wear clothing, quote, that display protest language, including political and religious speech, end quote. The ADF in the UK reports English pro-lifers not guilty for, pray, for prayer outside abortion clinics. Isabel von Spruce and Father Sean Goff have been acquitted of all charges for praying outside English abortion clinics. In separate incidents, incidents the two have been arrested for violation, a, violating a rule against protesting and engaging in an act that is intimidating to service users at abortion clinics. In both cases, the pro-life activists had been silent, but were arrested on suspicion that they were praying. 
Antonelli Palermo at Vatican News reports Pope Francis said that resignation, quote, has not crossed my mind, end quote, and added that he thinks a pontiff should serve for life at a February 2nd meeting with Jesuits in the Congo. The Pope said that although Pope Benedict XVI had the courage to do it because of declining health, this does not all mean that resigning popes should become, let's say, a fashion, a normal thing, end quote. He said that, I believe that a pope's ministry is for life. And finally, Daniel Esparza at Alatea reports the Nicaraguan bishop Rolando Alvarez is being kept in isolation in cell number 300, also known as the Infiernillo, a maximum security cell, after refusing to leave with the rest of the 222 political prisoners flown to the U.S. on Thursday. Bishop Rolando Alvarez was sentenced to 26 years in prison. According to media reports quoted by NPR, quote, Alvarez stopped at the stairs leading to the airplane and said, let the others be free. I will endure their punishment. I'm Tito Edwards, and these are today's headlines through a Catholic lens. The gospel of the day is from Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through chapter 9, verse 1. And he called his disciples to him and the multitude with them and said to them, If any man has a mind to come my way, let him renounce self, take up his cross, and follow me. The man who tries to save his life will lose it. It is the man who loses his life for my sake and for the gospel's sake that will save it. How is a man better for it if he gains the whole world at the expense of losing his own soul? For a man's soul, what price can be high enough? If anyone is ashamed of acknowledging me and my words before this unfaithful and wicked generation, the Son of Man, when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels, will be ashamed to acknowledge him. Believe me, there are those standing here who will not taste of death before they have seen the kingdom of God present in all its power. Six days afterwards, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led him up a high mountain where they were alone by themselves, and he was transfigured in their presence. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Cornelius Alapide says, In this adulterous generation, who are they talking about? He's, Cornelius Alapide says, Of depraved Jews, who are sons of God, though not genuine ones, but like spurious children, they, the offspring of adultery. For they are degenerate from the faith of their fathers, the patriarchs, since they will not receive me, who am the Messiah promised to them. Therefore, they are not so much children of God as of the devil. Such are called in Hebrew, bene nekar, or children born of a strange, alien, or adulterous father. And he says, see what I said in, in Matthew 10, 33, which we're not going to do. We're going to skip ahead. So Cornelius Lapide and St. Thomas Aquinas uh, confer on the same idea. St. Thomas, quoting Chrysostom, says, as if he would say to Peter, Thou indeed dost rebuke me, who am willing to undergo my passion. But I tell thee that not only is it wrong to prevent me from suffering, but neither canst thou be saved unless thou thyself diest. That's pretty intense. So our Lord here is telling him, Hey, not only must I suffer and die for you, but you also must suffer. And if you don't suffer, if you don't die to yourself, then you will not be saved. 
The awful cat says, for a man who denies another, be it brother or father, does not sympathize with him nor grieve at his fate, though he be wounded and die. Thus we ought to despise our bodies so that if it should be wounded or hurt in any way, we should not mind its suffering. This is very important because if we think of ourselves less instead of thinking less of ourselves, if we think less of ourselves, we stop thinking about ourselves. If we do that, it becomes easier to endure suffering. You're not trying to think, and this goes in what we're going to talk about later when it comes to fasting. If we're not so caught up in analyzing every single thing we do and focus our mind on God, the sufferings become easier to endure. Chrysostom says, but he says not a man should not spare himself. But what is more, that he should deny himself as if he had nothing in common with himself, but face danger and look upon such things as if another were suffering. And this is really to spare himself. For parents then most truly act kindly to their children when they give them up to their masters with an injunction not to spare them. Again, he shows the degree to which a man should deny himself when he says and take up his cross by which he means even the most shameful death. This is also very important and also very interesting because you think to yourself, you know, I give really good advice to other people, but I don't give really good advice to myself. And Chrysostom, in a way, is saying something similar. The same advice you would give to others, think about giving that to yourself. The way you would give if you saw someone suffering and what you might tell them when they're enduring suffering should be the way you act whenever you are suffering. Uh, Chrysostom continues, In this, he says, because it may happen that a man may suffer and yet not follow Christ. If you're not following Christ, your suffering becomes useless. It becomes worthless. So don't waste your suffering. Instead, offer it up. Offer up your suffering for the salvation of souls, the liberty and exaltation of Holy Mother Church, and for the holy souls in purgatory. Those are very important things that you could do today. Pseudo-Christum says, He then who has learned this is bound zealously to confess Christ without shame. And this generation is called adulterous because it has left God in the true bridegroom of the soul. And imagine how much more true that is today than it was during Chrysostom's time. It's, we live in a very degenerate society. So what more should we preach Christ? Because if we do not preach Christ, Christ will not confess us to his Father. And what a horrible, horrible situation to be at, where you are at your judgment seat, and you look upon the holy face of our Lord, and he turns to his Father and says, Him? I have no idea who that is. What a horrible place to be in to hear the words of our Lord, if he dare say to us, I never knew you. So let us confess Christ today. Let us follow him, let us love him, and let us preach him to every person that comes across us today. We'll be right back with uh, stories on UFOs. That's going to be fun. We'll be right back with more Catholic Drive Time. It's your conscience here again. You know you want it. I'm talking, of course, about the 2023 Mercedes-Benz CLA 250C. And on Friday, February 24th, it could be all yours if your name is drawn. Just go to grnonline.com or call 888-784-3476. Tickets are $25 each or 5 for 100 So what are you waiting for? 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Can you really say you know what praying the rosary is all about? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, listen to the who's who of the rosary. We have the Blessed Trinity. We have the Angel Gabriel. We have the Virgin Mary. We have John the Baptist. And we have Elizabeth. So how's that for a cast of sacred ones? Secondly, reflection. While saying the rosary, we reflect on 20 primary and sacred moments that occur in the lives of the Holy Family. And thirdly, the rosary dynamics. Here's how you involve this cast of holy ones in praying the rosary. You first invoke the three persons of the Blessed Trinity. Then, on to praying the Apostles' Creed. Then you will pray in Our Father. Then you will recite the angel Gabriel's words to Mary. Then you'll recite what Mary said to Elizabeth. And then you will relive John the Baptist being filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. Then you will ask for Mary's assistance in your life. And I'm so glad to say none of that is idolatry. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca, and good morning to you. It is Friday. You've made it to the weekend. Congratulations. Just a few more hours, and you are done with the work week, with the school week, and you can get down to relaxing, right? I'm sure you're not completely busy and booked all weekend. I'm sure you're going to just sleep in, and that's all you're going to do. I'm pretty sure that's what you're going to do, right? Let me know. So before we jump in, I really want to talk about the UFO stories just because I find it really fascinating and I've been talking talking about this topic to friends, to family, and things like that. So I just want to jump into those stories. But I have to, I feel my conscience obliges me to just mention the Ohio story again because it's so concerning what's happening in Ohio. And I feel horrible for the people that are living there, displaced, been hearing stories about people they have run out of money because they had to book hotel rooms at towns over, they, and they don't have their job anymore because they left the city. People who are blue-collar workers are not doing things remote. They have no job, and they're depleting their savings to live in hotel rooms uh, 10, 20 miles away from their, from their home. And even then, they're like, are we even far enough to escape the, the plume, the chemical plume that's covering the state of Ohio? Like, for instance, my friend Bug Hall lives three hours away from the site, and he is telling me that uh, they, had some, they had some rain yesterday, and they, after the rainfall, some of his chickens just died. And he was like, I don't, this has never happened. I've been raising chickens for over three years now, and nothing like this has ever happened before. He's like, I don't know if we are close enough that this is what, that's what caused it. All I know is it rained last night. I woke up and some of my chickens were dead. Uh, that's not common. And he checked out the chickens. There's no uh, signs of it was attacked and anything like that. That's very concerning. The, also, they saw it's about 3,500 fish. The last report, which was a few days ago, it's probably more by now, were seen dead, even though the government's saying that, there are, uh, that the water's safe to drink. That doesn't make any sense to me. So there's a lot of things that are going on in Ohio that no one's talking about for some reason, and it's very concerning. So I highly recommend people check that out and keep in touch with that. And also it's a little disturbing that the Biden administration has denied the request for federal disaster assistance, which I think is doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, the, the FEMA, Federal Emergency Management Agency, told Ohio that the Biden administration was rejected, rejecting its request for federal assistance because the agency said this incident did not qualify. If this incident doesn't qualify, then what does? 
I guess, only natural disasters. So un, all unnatural disasters don't count. Is that what it is? The DeWine administration, which is the, the governor of the state of Ohio, has been in daily contact with FEMA to discuss the need for federal support. However, FEMA continued to tell Governor DeWine that Ohio is not eligible for assistance at this time. DeWine's office said earlier in the day, Governor DeWine will continue working with FEMA to determine what assistance can be provided. So that's all I've got to say about that. Please pray for the people of Ohio. And if you know anyone in that area that has firsthand experience, uh, please connect me with them. I'd love to talk to them, uh, maybe have them on and tell me what's actually going down, because I don't trust anything in the media coming out of Ohio right now. Uh, Tito, you wanted to chime in on that? It's amazing that the Biden administration is uh, has not done anything. Even the transportation secretary, uh, Buddy, Buddy Gig, I uh, can't pronounce his name correctly, said that uh, there's a thousand trail dera- derailments every year and you're getting attention. So don't think that you're not getting an attention. And that just seems a little high schoolish for somebody in that position to say and, and to say anything at all to that degree, to, to treat it as if it was nothing. I, th- I think they're not seeing this as a big problem because two things, it's, it's a rural community, really small. And secondly, the media is not giving it the attention. So the Biden administration feels it, it feels as if it could get away with not doing anything. And that's my two cents worth. Yeah, one might say they're getting away with murder, quite literally. Okay, so moving on to the very important topic of UFOs. Um, very important. I know everybody cares. The story, the reason why it's coming up, obviously, is because of the balloons that were shot down, which I think is hilarious. Senator Cruz was putting uh, the Biden administration on blast because... They launched two $400,000 missiles to, uh, to to destroy this what this balloon, right? That they or this UFO, right? Yeah. And the each one of the missiles cost four hundred thousand. They missed the first one. The first one lands in the water below, and that's four hundred grand at least, because they were estimating it was between four hundred and like seven hundred grand. But we're just going to say four hundred. And then we find out later uh, yesterday, I think it was, or maybe it was this morning. The Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade has claimed that their Pico balloon had been floating over the area of Alaska where a balloon was shot down, but has since gone missing. Uh, Charlie Kirk with Turning Point USA tweeted, the Biden let an actual Chinese spy balloon cross 2,000 miles of American airspace untouched, and now he fakes being tough by shooting down a $12 science project from the, I kid you not, Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade. And the the Pico ballooning community said they are nervous about the negative attention by some members of Congress in the White House who have called the object shot down at all altitudes of 20 to 40,000 feet dangerous to civil aviation. So those poor uh, hobbyists are getting, are getting their stuff shot down. I feel bad for them. And another thing that I thought was interesting was a lawmaker reveals what info he got during a closed-door briefing on UFOs. Senator Mike Lee was in a closed-door meeting about uh, briefings on UFOs. And when asked what he learned, do you know what he said? No, what did he say? He said, quote, I didn't learn a darn thing. My goodness. (laughs) I thought that was hilarious. I'm like, okay, well, it's like, okay, this article is talking about what he learned in this closed-door UFO meeting. What did he learn? He's like, nothing. (laughs) Nothing at all. So there you go, folks. It's That's whole, our government. It's it's comical how this administration is just stumbling from one crisis to another, and uh, we we don't see we don't see professionals up there. We don't see people who know what they're doing, 
they're I think they've they're, they've lost their the, they've lost the eye on the ball, and they're more focused on making sure that they have the right minority groups uh, being elevated to positions of authority, i.e., the woke uh, woke crowd, and they're really they're treating this as some sort of junior high presidential uh, situation where it's nothing's being taken serious and, and they're doing these little s- silly things left and right and when they get caught off guard by something serious like uh, the balloons or, or uh, the war in the Ukraine they're uh, they're bumbling and stumbling and and uh, it's it's disheartening yeah so the story that I really care about is, is this, using this as a as a jumping off point to talk about aliens because aliens I think are a very fascinating topic to discuss I think it's a very interesting topic but I also don't believe in aliens I think that they're their aliens do not exist and so people say but what about all these cases that we see right we see all these topics that happen um, what are they are these just nothing like what what's happening here right and so I have seven theories about what aliens are in terms of when people see them, right? And these seven theories are not saying that it's one of these in general. It's every single case can be explained by one of these seven theories. And so that's that's what I mean by that. So the seven theories are in no particular order. Number one, a hoax. It can use many people fake aliens and they just trying to get attention and trying to become famous. Two, crazy people. People are legitimately losing their minds, and they think they see aliens, but they're not. They are just a little loony. Uh, three, secret government projects. Uh, we know for certain that there, whenever people were, we were uh, experimenting with uh, aircrafts that were going, uh, I forget the details of the aircrafts now, but they were experimenting with aircrafts that were traveling at a higher speed than we've ever had before and that were uh, made for stealth. Those people had seen it in the sky, and they were thought it was alien. So black uh, projects, those kind of things, are probably another thing that's often associated with UFOs. PSYOPs, psychological operations by the government. And that one I'm going to come back to to discuss a little bit more. But the government trying to get you to talk about aliens, trying to get people to kind of have this idea in their head uh, for different reasons, whether it be trying to uh, scare people or trying to get them to... Uh, focus on a topic that doesn't matter in order to distract from things that do matter, which I'm falling for right now by talking about aliens. Uh, five is foreign tech, uh, meaning like China, Russia has some kind of te- technology that we are not familiar with, and they're flying in our, our airspace, and that's a very real possibility. Uh, six, uh, random stuff in the air, like balloons, trash, things like that, um, like this Pico balloon that was flown in the air. People were like, oh, it's a UFO. Let's shoot it down and launch $800,000 worth of missiles at it. Uh, that's a uh, concerning thing. That's a possibility for things. And then number seven, demons. And people were like, oh, you, oh, you said demons. No, yeah, 100%. And I've, the only reason why I mentioned demons is because I have heard many stories where aliens appeared in someone's room. And whenever they do... The person invokes the holy name of Jesus, and the aliens go away, and they disappear. If that happens, well, they can't, be, they can't just be aliens, right? Because if someone invoked the holy—if I was attacking someone, and I wanted to murder someone, and they were like, in Jesus' name, leave me, well, 
I'm a human being. I have free will. Unless God has an extraordinary action to like shove me back, nothing's going to happen. I'm still going to be able to act. Whereas if it's a demon, it makes more sense that they would react violently or flee from the holy name of Jesus. It makes sense. And so I have just known those stories. So it's possible that those cases are, in fact, Tito. Yes. Sorry about that. I, I remember in, 19, yes, I'm old, 1986 when the space shuttle disaster occurred. And for a couple of days, they were showing footage from the network television cameras of the shuttle exploding. A week later, uh, military intelligence showed their own footage of what was going on. And the contrast was incredible. Technology like that, I would not see for another 10 to 12 years. It was, you could see the distinct lines on the shuttle. You could see the flares and, and the smoke emanating from the fuselage that was about to burst. The, the, it, the contrast was incredible. So the point okay, is... Real quickly, we're running out of time. I just want to get to this point saying that uh, the reason why aliens do not exist, aliens do not exist because there is no natural explanation for the creation of life. We can't have a naturalistic explanation of how life occurs. So people will make the argument, life just happens, right? People will say, if there's infinite amount of planets, the universe is infinite, and so there's got to be at least some life out there, just logically speaking, right? Well, the answer is no, because one, scientists have no idea how life is created. They have no idea how these things happen. And, the, and to assume that it happens naturalistically, if you believe that God had created life, well then yes, sure. That's why C.S. Lewis has his space trilogy where he talks about the same thing. And so if life is created by God directly, then sure, there can be life on other planets, but we have no reason to believe that there is life on other planets. Because it's not inevitable. It has to be an extraordinary act of God. It doesn't happen naturally. And so if we believe that it happens naturally, then sure. But you're going to have to explain to me, how is life, how is life created? How is rationality created? How do you get rationality from non-rationality? How do you get life from non-life? It's a very principle of physics. You can't give what you do not have. You can't create something out of nothing. And so that's why there are no aliens out there. Coming up, we're going to be talking about fasting with Dr. Jay Richards. We'll be right back. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Your only daughter met a fine young man who was a committed Mormon. She now wants to join his church. What's your answer? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, a reason for no. Doctrinal positions such as the deity of Jesus and the Trinity. Your reason for yes. You deem seemingly moral character as superseding biblical truth. Secondly, orthodoxy. Your answer is probably no. But how and why? Your resistance to Mormon doctrine does not just come straight down from the Bible. It comes from the first five centuries of brilliant theologians, bishops, and popes. These Catholics wrote, debated, and fought for truth. Example, in 250 A.D., 311, and 417, three different popes excommunicated three different heretics, Sibelius, Arius, and Pelagius. They denied the Trinity, the eternal deity of Jesus, or taught that human effort warranted salvation. Would your pastor excommunicate a heretic? Well, unfortunately, your pastor can only remove someone from his local congregation. But that's okay. That guy will probably end up being welcomed to the church down the street. 
Hey Sita, how do you ask, do you love Catholic radio in German? Liebst du das katholische Radio? How about support it by purchasing car raffle tickets for a 2023 Mercedes-Benz CLA 250? Unterstütze es mit dem Kauf eines Tickets, mit dem du einen 2023 Mercedes-Benz CLA 250 gewinnen kannst. Hmm, okay. How about get yours at grnonline.com forward slash raffle? Kauf eins auf grnonline.com forward slash raffle. Thank you. I needed that for a PSA. Cool. When are you recording it? Right now. Oh. Danke. Welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. Today is Friday, February 17th, and these are your headlines for today. John Lavenberg at Crux reports that pastor near the Ohio derailment hopes it won't spell the end of the community. Father David Misbrenner is pastor of both Our Lady of Lourdes and St. Jude's Catholic Church in nearby Columbiana. He lives at the latter, and that's where he was at the time of the February 3rd train derailment. The pastor's main focus in the immediate future is the spiritual well-being of his parishioners, who he said are predominantly senior citizens on fixed incomes. The church has about 180 active households. From Germany, Kirch and Leben reports that Bishop Peter Kohlgraf of Mainz claims that the Bible supports the ordination of women. He's quoted in saying, There are enough approaches in the New Testament to justify opening the ordained offices to women. The Vatican Press Office reports Pope Francis praised the commendable work of the United Bible Societies at a February 16th private audience with the leaders of the group. Quote, The National Church lives by the word, proclaims it, and persecuted. Flees with it and is its only baggage, the Pope remarked. And finally... J.P. Morrow at Alatea reports the annual construction of an ice chapel at Michigan Tech University has been completed and their ice masses has been celebrated. This is the third iteration of the annual ice chapel which has become a mainstay of Michigan Tech's Winter Carnival. This year's ice chapel was the biggest yet and allowed for a huge, huge crowd in this outdoor standing room only venue. According to Michigan Tech, it took a little more than two weeks to complete the open-air structure built by packing snow and pounding it into shape. This year's ice chapel measures 35 by 60 feet. The organizers noted that they don't expect one of their ice chapels to ever get bigger than this. I'm Tito Edwards, and these are today's headlines through a Catholic lens. Thank you, Tito, for keeping us up to date. Uh, joining us right now by Zoom chat is Dr. Jay Richards. His book is Eat, Fast, Feast, Heal Your Body While Feeding Your Soul, A Christian Guide to Fasting. Uh, Dr. Jay Richards is, I didn't realize this until I looked at his biography, he's a Dominican friar. He's, a, I presume, a third-order Dominican. He has a Ph.D. with honors in philosophy and theology from Princeton Theological Seminary. Also has his MDiv, his theological, his Masters of Theology, his BA in Political Science and Religion, and lives in the D.C. metro area. Uh, good morning to you, Dr. Richards. Good morning, Adrian. How are you? I'm doing well. Praise be to God. Uh, that's very cool. I'm, I'm glad to hear I had a, a good, another uh, good Dominican on the show. I, I love hmm. that. That's pretty awesome. How long have you been a, a tertiary? I've actually, I've been permanently professed, I think, about four years, and actually I'm in the process of uh, leading a new chapter that's just started in the last couple of years with professors and faculty at Catholic University over at the Dominican House of Studies in D.C. So I'm at the moment the only fully professed in this new chapter because it's new. Wow, that's pretty awesome. I didn't know that. I kind of want to just like completely derail the conversation and go that way, but I won't do it. Uh, the, <laughs> uh, the Your book, 
is a very long title, Eat, Fast, Feast, Heal Your Body While Feeding Your Soul, A Christian Guide to Fasting. Um, very clear, tells you exactly what it is. So mm-hmm. I want to start the conversation with talking about kind of uh, clearing the debris, so to speak. There are a lot mm-hmm. of myths about fasting, and there's a lot of things that people kind of freak out about. And just to tell you a little bit about my personal experience with it, I was in college when a friend of mine who was a weightlifter was telling me about intermittent mm-hmm. fasting because I was trying to, to lose some weight and start uh, lifting weight some more. And he was telling me about this, yep. and I was like, what on intermittent fasting? That sounds like a terrible idea. And I started <laughs> trying it for a little bit, and I was, uh, was kind of miserable with it. But I finally used Lent as an excuse to try the intermittent fasting more, so I kept on pushing a meal back an hour every single mm-hmm. uh, yep. week until I was eating less and less meals. Um, and it worked out really well for me. But anytime I brought it up to anybody, they would freak out and be like, this is a crazy idea. What are you doing? You're killing yourself. <laughs> and I didn't know anything in terms of science or anything about yeah. it. And so I was just like, I don't know. All I know is I did it and it was working for me. Uh, so Dr. Richards, uh, can you please tell me about kind of clearing the debris? You were, yeah, you're the target audience for this book, for sure. I mean, I was the same. Like, I was a terrible faster. I, w- I was a strength trainer in college. I put people on fitness programs, told them to eat six small meals a day, eat really low fat, lots of complex carbs. You don't want to go a long time without eating because you'll put your body in starvation mode, store fat, lose muscle, this stuff that just turns out is not true. It's just, we know scientifically this isn't true. And so I wrote this book to combine both uh, the theological and historical facts about what Christians used to do for them uh, with respect to fasting with all of this new scientific evidence about the actual physical benefits of fasting. And so the, the probably the biggest degree is, uh, or mental debris is this idea that it's bad for you, um, which leads to this impression that people think that it's torture. And so, yeah, maybe it's a sacrifice and some people are called to do it, but it's some kind of really special thing that only a few people have the capacity for. In fact, the reason it is so hard for us to fast now is precisely because of our lifestyle. So we eat very, very frequently. And so whatever you do over and over again, you, you develop habits for. And so your body doesn't like it if you try to stop. And then we eat a highly refined, carbohydrate-rich, sugar-rich diet, which causes us to use this one metabolic pathway that converts sugar into glucose. Well, it turns out your body has another metabolic pathway, which converts fat to ketones. That's another source of energy that you're totally stable when you're in what's called ketosis. But if you eat all the time and you constantly eat refined carbs, that part of your metabolism actually never goes online, and you need that to be able to fast. And so what I wanted to do is first explain that and then say, okay, if you want to have lifestyle fasting, not just intermittent fasting, you know, where you just limit the window of time when you eat during the day, but, you know, theoretically do multi-day fasts, really serious fasts during Lent, you want to adjust your habits and your metabolism. And once you do that, it, yes, it's still a sacrifice. You still feel hungry, but it's not torture. And that's how I think we recover the kind of fasting that was common, say, in the early church. Yes. And let's talk about that for a second, because people kind of have this idea that, you know, fasting, like you mentioned, long-term fasting, 24, 48, 72 mm-hmm. hours, or even more for some people. I think the the record is like 380 days or something like that. This guy who was just incredibly large um but the the like people were doing this in the past all the time our ancestors are the church fathers even not that long ago it was happening can you tell us a little bit about that 
Absolutely. Well, I think the key thing, you said our ancestors, the key thing to think is, okay, um, if God had designed us where we had to have a constant infusion of food, we would not, the human race would not have survived because for most of human history, people had periods of plenty and then periods of want, where sometimes they had to, they eat very little in the winter and maybe they just only have, say, animal protein and nothing else to eat, really animal fat. And then I go days without eating. It turns out we're optimized for that. God designed us so that we can eat a lot part of the time and eat not at all some other time. It's not just that we survive that way. We are actually optimal that way. And so what a fasting regimen does in uh, the early church did is they're sort of replicating a natural pattern, but giving it a theological meaning. And so, of course, Christianity is not the only religion that has fasting. Every major religion has some kind of fasting uh, schedule. The, the church, though, has this amazing schedule. So in the early church, common practice was to just fully fast. So by fast, I mean not eat. Uh, every Wednesday and Friday of every single week, because Wednesday is the day Christ was betrayed, and, of course, Friday when he was when he was crucified, and then you have a mini feast on Sunday so that you actually have this weekly punctuated fasting feasting schedule of literally going two days out of the week fasting. And so in some cases, they would, uh, you know, sort of lessen the intensity of that with vegetables at night or something. But imagine that if everyone was still fasting every Wednesday and Friday and then treating Sunday as a feast day. And then during these massive feasting seasons, especially Lent and Advent, incidentally, uh, the, the fasting even ramps up. And remember, in both cases, they're followed by feasts. Well, we celebrate those feasts. We kind of recognize Lent as a fasting season. We've forgotten that for Advent. And we've lost the pattern that you're, when you have a feast, you're supposed to be preceded by a serious fast. And so I think uh, we've lost something that's beneficial to us, certainly physically, but also spiritually. And then we wonder why the church is in such disarray. Yeah, for sure. These kind of things are incredibly interesting to me to see these things happening. And our forefathers, like they live, they seem to have lived longer. They seem to be healthier. But us with our sophisticated diets, seem to be far less healthy. We have the most obese society ever. Um, mm -hmm. It's very interesting that that's happening. But also, you know, we, before we go to a break, I want to discuss really briefly about what our Lord had to say about fasting, because many mm -hmm. people will say, well, we don't really have to fast. It's like better and it's more spiritually good, like the saints did it, but we don't have to do it. <laughs> That's right. And Jesus didn't command it. What he did say is he said, when you fast, when you pray, when you give alms, don't do it like the, you know, the, the hypocrites who are sort of ostentatious about it. When Jesus is saying, when you do X or Y, he's not commanding you to do it because he assumes that you're doing it. It was so obvious that we would fast. And of course, in the Gospels, that's the pattern he established. He started his ministry with a 40-day fast in the desert. So Christ assumed we would do that, that we would pray, that we would fast, and we would give alms. Nobody thinks, okay, we don't have to pray and give alms, but for some reason we managed to drop the fasting. Yes, for sure. Yeah, and, and coming up, uh, we're going to head to a break. But on the other side of the break, I want to discuss, you know, how, you know, this Lent is coming up in less than a week. Maybe this is the opportunity to start trying to fast. So let's discuss that. What's the practical way to do it? We're going to discuss the, uh, the spiritual benefits, some of the quotes of the, the Desert Fathers talking about how the Christian has fasting as its weapon, which no one can defeat. I believe that's St. Basil the Great. Mm -hmm. and so all of these things we're going to talk about uh, in, the, in just a moment on the other side of our break. And when we get to that break, uh, we'll discuss uh, some of these things. It's very interesting to me. 
how all these things are happening and fasting is finally making it to the pop culture. So we'll be right back. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. How much havoc would be caused at your church if your pastor brought a big statue of St. Peter or St. Paul and placed them in the sanctuary? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, history's on the side of the Catholic Church. Christian art in many forms dates way back to about 120 A.D. And so do those various Christian symbols which we still see today. You know, a dove, a fish, a lamb. Why are those okay? Secondly, the Bible, Exodus, Numbers, and Ezekiel. All these books show God telling Moses, David, or Ezekiel to carve out images of angels that were used in worship. And, and thirdly, a tough comeback, especially for my guy friends. Does Cooperstown, Canton, or Cleveland mean anything to you? Yep, the Hall of Fame locations filled with statues, jerseys, bats, and balls. Memorabilia is a $37 billion industry, but you say, don't bring a statue into my church. Well, how many of you guys have admired one of those bronze statues of an athlete? I'd rather stare at St. Peter's, Paul, and Mary in my church, and I'm not talking about the old folk band. I bet you're wondering to yourself, how can I win a 2023 Mercedes-Benz CLA 250C? Easy. Just go to grnonline.com or call 888-784-3476. Only $25 a ticket or five tickets for $100. The drawing is February 24th, 2023. So, do you feel lucky? Well... Do ya? Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. And joining us right now is Dr. Jay Richards. His book on fasting is what we're discussing. An excellent book called Eat Fast Feast. Go check it out. You won't regret it. It's very interesting. Heal your body while feeding your soul, a Christian guide to fasting. Uh, some quotes about the from the church fathers on the topic of fasting. Uh, fasting cleanses the soul, raises the mind, subjects one's flesh to the spirit, renders the heart contrite and humble, scatters the cloud of concupiscence, and quenches the fire of lust and kindles the true light of chastity. St. Augustine of Hippo, St. John Chrysostom, fasting is a nourishment of the soul. Gregory of, N- of Nyssa, let us not think of our fasting as a kind of penance but as an aid to chastity and purity. As St. John Christum again says, fasting is a support of our soul. It gives us wings to ascend on high and to enjoy the highest contemplation. St. Francis Sells, more recently, he said, fasting is food for the soul. It gives us strength and nourishment. And St. Cyril of Alexandra said, fasting is healthy, is healing therapy for the body and the soul. Notice that. He mentions the body and the soul. Very interesting. Uh, Dr. Jay Richards, thank you for joining us. Uh, what are your thoughts about the quotes of uh, the fathers, the saints on, uh, on fasting? I mean, those are all great quotes and they're a representative sample of what you get from the fathers. They just talk about fasting all the time. I love the last quote, the body and the soul, because of course, as Catholics, we believe we're not just these kind of, you know, souls trapped in bodies. And of course, we're not merely our material bodies. We're this unique hybrid of this body and the soul. Uh, and that's what's amazing about fasting is that in a sense, you are, you're marshalling your metabolism 
in service of a, a spiritual discipline. And so it would make sense that if this is beneficial spiritually, it would also be beneficial physically. I mean, if people said, you know, if you were, um, every time you prayed, you felt sick and got nauseated and threw up, um, I, you wouldn't say, well, I guess I'm just supposed to sacrifice. I would say, well, you're, you must be doing something wrong. That doesn't really, really make sense, um, for a regular spiritual discipline. And that's, that's what fasting is. It, it's something that we didn't really realize, uh, that it could actually be good for you. But that, I mean, uh, you know, this, lots of saints talk that way. It's almost like it's, it's a, it's a, it's a spiritual medicine. And they actually thought it was a physical medicine, and it turns out it actually is. And that, that's what's staggering about it, because we're at this moment where the church has, frankly, mostly abandoned fasting as we used to do it. And yet, and then a bunch of sort of fitness gurus in California suddenly discovered that, oh, you know, fasting is actually really good for you. We should do this. And so that's the kind of irony, uh, because you know, I'm convinced the church for renewal needs to do this. Uh, but the nice thing is actually is something that was being discovered in the world because, of course, the world, the law is written on the human heart. Um, these things are true biologically. And so it's not surprising that people would discover them. But my, my, you know, to, to Catholics who say, well, this is now kind of a fad, I would say, well, um, you know, just because something's a good idea and the world discovers a good idea doesn't mean we ought not to do it. And besides which, we are the ones that really invented serious fasting. I mean, that's the thing is that the Catholic Church had a, a much more robust understanding and a pattern of fasting. And now you can only, you kind of see it, uh, a residue of it in the Orthodox churches and in the Eastern Rite churches. The West, unfortunately, except for what I would just say is residual fasting, a little less eating on Ash Wednesday, for instance, we have mostly just completely abandoned it. Yeah, I thought it was the funniest thing when I read uh, Aquinas talking about the Muslims fast and he's like making fun of them because their fast is so weak. And there he's like, huh, these guys, yes. all they do is not eat from sunrise to sundown. Anybody can do that. <laughs> and uh, you're, and then now the modern Catholic is like, can you believe the way the Muslims fast? That's amazing. Yeah. And it's very funny. No, exactly. I feel like it needs to convict us because they serious Muslims that's what they do. And that, so now we're like, wow, sunrise to sunset, which is serious business, depending upon your latitude, you know, so you may be going 18 hours a day for a month. Um, but it, it's like, well, yeah, why aren't we doing something like that? Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned also how a lot of these was medicine for the body. And I saw this quote from St. John Cassie, and I thought it was so fascinating. He said, fasting is a medicine, but medicine, as beneficial as it is, becomes useless because of the inexperience of the user. He has to know the appropriate time that the medicine should be taken and the right amount of medicine and the condition of the body which is to take it, the weather conditions, the season of the year, and the appropriate diet of the sick, and many other things. And I thought that was a perfect analogy to you know, seasons of fasting and seasons of feasting, yes. uh, speaking about and then the inexperience of the user. And so coming up on Ash mm -hmm. Wednesday and trying to encourage people to do a real fast for maybe some for some people the first time in their entire lives. Uh, what should we know and how should we approach it? I would say ease into it. It's just like anything. If you want to run a marathon, you don't run a marathon the first day. You ease in, and so uh, there's a kind of a lot of details. But here's the kind of key thing: if you want to really get good at fasting during Lent, start by eating ketogenically for a few days. Uh, maybe you know starting next weekend. What that means is to bump. It sounds crazy. 
increase the amount of fat that you're eating, keep the protein moderate, and almost entirely drop out carbohydrates. So you're just eating vegetables for your carbs for a few days. That will get that other part of your metabolism kicking in. And then on Ash Wednesday, start limiting the time window in which you eat. It might be that you just eat for eight hours during the day, uh, and then you you slowly over a period of weeks narrow it down to four. And then on a few days, actually just eat within a well, one-hour window, which sounds crazy. You wouldn't do that right at the beginning. But if you do that, you sort of basically ramp up. By the time you get to Holy Week, you will be in a position where you could actually fast for, you know, 36 to 72 hours. And it would have been impossible and torturous if you had started there. It will feel perfectly natural as long as you ease into it. Yeah, I was surprised the first time I did a long-term fast. It was actually for the Triduum. I, I fasted on Good mm. Friday, Holy Saturday, and then broke the fast after Easter Mass uh, when we, my family got together to, uh, to, to eat together. And I got to tell you, celebrating Easter after a three-day fast is got to be the most amazing yeah. experience ever. Uh, and it really goes to the spirit of one of the reasons why we fast. Yes, it's, it's good for our health. You mentioned some of the health effects in the last hour, in the last segment, um, but also the spiritual benefits and having to understand the feast. I, I always, when I was younger, was I loved all these holidays, but at the same time, it's like, uh, you ate a little bit more than usual, maybe some food that was a little bit more expensive, but you it, mm-hmm. you were basically feasting every day. That's right. We basically, that's what we do is we basically feast every day and then we over feast on the actual feast days, but that's not the right pattern. In fact, you, as you said, you don't really appreciate the feast. Whereas if you have, gosh, you fasted, say from Holy Thursday until Easter Sunday, um, you're going to notice what it means to feast. You're going to feel that contrast. You'll also get to participate in the sacrifice of Christ during the, what is his passion. Um, and so you get a taste of it, but it's not, it's not torture. You're not being crucified. It's just a taste of it. And you feel, you you kind of feel the benefits. So it's not like you're just fixated on your food. That's what's amazing. People assume if I fast, I will not, will not draw me closer to the Lord. It will just cause me to be fixated and I'll be hangry and angry the whole time. That's true if you're doing things the wrong way. Um, if you're doing the standard American diet right up until the minute you fast. And so my advice is don't do that. Uh, adjust both what you eat and then adjust the time window and when you eat slowly and you'll get your body in a position where the fasting, it's a sacrifice, but it's not torture. Hi, uh, Dr. Jay Richards. This is Tito Edwards. Very good to finally meet you. And uh, all this talk about how we used to fast it puts in perspective what Jesus did on his 40 days of fasting. So he did not have a light meal at the end of eat every day. He had nothing for 40 mm-hmm. days, pretty yep. much. Yeah, I, I, it, that's right. I I'm I know the guys here are getting to know me, and so I'm really I, I really like Lent and Advent. And uh, I just mm-hmm. three or four years ago, I discovered Advent was also a fasting time of the year as well. And I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to getting your book now and implementing some of that <laughs> stuff and going slowly. Could could you uh, explain what when you kept mentioning kenotic? Could you explain a little bit yeah, what that is? Yeah, so a ketosis or ketogenic eating. Yes. That's, so there's basically you have two kinds of fuels in your body that your cells can use for energy. One is glucose, which is that's basically the form of sugar that your body converts and then stores in your muscles and liver as what's called glycogen. Just think of that as sugar, and that's where you, the carbohydrates turn to sugar. And then you, if you consume fats, 
um, and you don't have those carbohydrates and sugar in your body, what your liver will do is it will convert it to a fuel called ketones, which is just a different form of energy that your cells can use. And if you're in a sta- the state where your body is producing lots of ketones, that's called ketosis. It's a perfectly natural uh, um, state that you can be in. Everyone's going to end up in ketosis if they don't eat for three days. Or if you eat ketogenically, which just means you eat in such a way that you're sort of optimizing for your body to use fat and you're depriving it of carbohydrates. Because here's the, the, the kicker. If you're not used to being in that, the, the fat burning and producing mode, um, your body will not want to be in that state. And so until you get rid of the carbohydrates entirely, your liver won't start producing it. Now, once you get used to doing this, your body becomes metabolically flexible. So it has an easier time. Oh, okay, we got sugars coming in. That's what we'll use that metabolism. Oh, you've got a lot of fats and not a lot of sugars. You're not eating. Okay, so we'll t- turn the fuel to ketones. Um, and so that's the kind of background metabolic description. Just imagine the body is like a, a, a Prius, a Toyota Prius that can run on the battery or on the tank. But imagine that for 40 years, you have just been using the battery and you've never drawn the gas from the tank. That's what most of us are in. And so needless to say, when you suddenly the battery dies and you need to use the tank, it's kind of hard. Um, but that that's a kind of crucial kind of background science to understanding. Okay, we used to normally do that because we would de- didn't eat all the time and we deprived ourselves of food part of the time because it simply wasn't available. So naturally, people knew how to, you know, got into ketosis. Our blessed abundance has made it where we're just that part of our metabolism is totally atrophied. The result of it is that obesity, type 2 diabetes is going through the roof, yes, but it also makes it almost impossible to fast because your blood sugar is going up and down like this all the time. For sure, and thank you for that, Dr. Richards. Uh, Last question for you is, you know, people will then say, you know, we shouldn't be talking about fasting because our art says when, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrite and talk about it. And it seems like we're violating God's law mm-hmm. right now. And so my last question for you is who should fast? Why should they fashion fast? And why is it OK for us to talk about it? It's OK for us to talk about it because what the Lord is talking about is when you're fasting, don't be ostentatious. So in other words, if I'm on a three-day fast, I shouldn't be telling everyone, oh, I'm really sacrificing right now. You don't need to tell people that you're fasting, right? Like, no, I, we haven't talked about it. Nobody knows if I'm fasting right now or not. What we're doing is we're talking about the discipline of fasting. We're not trying to bring glory to ourselves by saying, hey, I'm in the middle of a six-day fast. That's what he's talking about. In the same way, you don't ostentatiously give your offerings. You want to do it privately so that the Lord knows, but you're not getting the kind of social benefit of the virtue signaling. He's basically saying, don't try to virtue signal when you do these things. And so it's okay to talk about when we're, this is that we're in the teaching moment right now, but you know, I, I, it would be wrong for me to right now tell you, okay, am I fasting or something like that? That's what he's talking about. Awesome. Thank you very much, Dr. Richards. We'll have to have you back uh, sometime in the future to talk more about fasting. That's such a fascinating topic, but God bless you. God love you. Have a great day, Dr. Richards. When we come back, we have our game show, Fear and Trembling, so don't go anywhere. Hi, I'm Debbie Giorgiani. And I'm Adam Bly. We're the hosts of The Spirit World every Saturday morning on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Join us as we help answer your questions on angels, demons, and how the physical and spiritual worlds interact. That's The Spirit World from the Station of the Cross Studios every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Is the very contemporary popular idea that a faith alone salvation, which occurs by repenting of sins and asking Jesus in one's heart, sufficient to enter and warrant heaven upon death? I say, no, it's not. Many evangelicals will say, just follow the Romans road, which is four verses snatched out of the book of Romans, and when followed, heaven is promised. Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible. The Gospels, nor the Epistles, nor the Apostolic and early Church Fathers ever wrote anything like this mechanical approach. Secondly, the marriage experience. After wrongdoing and temporary departure from your family, does a simple one-time, hey honey, I'm really sorry, bring you back into the family? And thirdly, teaching of the Catholic Church, water baptism, loving God and neighbor, which is displayed by consistent acts of charity while maintaining a perseverant hope of heaven is the surest way to God's eternal presence. And my pesky comeback, that Romans road is presumptuous and significantly dumbs down the holy value and price of salvation. And remember, that Romans road has some potholes. Marty, the TRN is raffling off a 2023 Mercedes-Benz CLA 250C. Whoa, Doc, that's heavy. What, are we going to have to like go back in time to get tickets? Not at all, Marty. Just call 888-784-3476 or go to grnonline.com. We better hurry, Marty. The drawing takes place February 24th, the year 2023. We really need one of those smartphones, Doc. In your car, at the office, or in your home, we're always here. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Hi, I'm Joan Smith from St. Elizabeth and Seton Catholic Community. You're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca, and good morning to you. Congratulations on making it to Friday. The day is almost, well, it's just begun for, I guess, most people. For us, it's like halfway through, but for you, the day has probably just begun, and we will get through the day together, you and I. I'm praying for your intentions today. Hope you make it through the weekend, and we can see you again. Brian Nurley, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern on the Catholic Drive Time Show. And remember, in just a few minutes, we're actually going to be having our game show, Fear and Trembling, where you can call in and you can be a participant in our show and win prizes that we're giving away today. If you want more information about that, you are more than welcome to check out our website, 877-757-9424 is the number if you want to write it down real quick. And you can call in early and hang on until 15 after the hour. Or go to our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. And when you do, there is listed our phone number. And you can just put that in your speed dial and join us whenever it is. Uh, We're going to have Dave Palmer on in just a little bit. And we're going to discuss some things about Aquinas and the passion. It's going to be a very interesting conversation. But, you know, just wanted to mention a couple things about fasting that I thought was very interesting. Whenever I was thinking about fasting and I started doing it, you know, it was very hard. And people are not used to fasting. They are not experienced with it. And so they kind of uh, are freaked out by it. and They don't know how to do it. And this is how I recommend people to do it. Uh, Dr. Jay Richards in his book, he gives out like a six-week plan on how to do it where he goes through step-by-step. And every week you get better and better at fasting until you are doing full-blown fast. 
Uh, but this is my recommendation. This is the way I did it. It may or may not work for you. Different people do different things. But this is the way I did it, and I, I recommend it to people, and, it's, and people have told me that it works for them as well, is what I did was I just had my meal, and I pushed it back one hour. So a breakfast, for instance. If I was having breakfast at 8 a.m. every morning, I pushed breakfast back to 9 a.m. And then after that became normal, I pushed that back to 10 a.m. And then pushed it back to 11 a.m. And then pushed it back to noon until breakfast and lunch were at the same time. So now I was no longer eating breakfast. I was fasting until lunchtime. And then I pushed lunch back an hour until lunch and dinner were together. And I was fasting until dinner. And then I just pushed dinner back until I was uh, until bedtime. So I was like, okay, well, I'll just go to sleep. And then I just eat the next day. And then I was doing a 24-hour fast. And that's how I did it. And it didn't happen over the course of like a month. It happened over the course of a few months. Uh, I think actually it was probably three months. I would push it back an hour here, an hour there. Um, sometimes it would take me a week to move another hour. Sometimes I was moving an hour every single day. It just depended. And then I got used to it. And so that was kind of what I did. And it worked out very well for me. And so now... And it's not that hard. The hardest part is the social eating is when you get invited to people's birthday parties or people bring you food or things like that. And you're like, oh, man, oh, that's so that's really the hardest part of it. And but other than that, other than the actual the hard part of it being um, the social aspect, the actual eating of it, it's not that hard, easy, really, once you get used to it. So you'll be surprised. My challenge for you and I will do it with you, is to do one meal a day for Lent this year. Uh, don't start off that way if you're not experienced, but get there by the end of Lent. One meal a day and offer up those sacrifices for the salvation of souls, the liberty and exaltation of Holy Mother Church, and for your own personal holiness. Um, but, Tito, what did you think about the fasting um, interview? Uh, very uh, very interesting. Uh, got me even more motivated. Gung-ho. Uh, it brought to mind when did we dial down our fasting in the United States and what was the reasoning behind it mostly what was the reasoning behind it because they don't call us the affluent West for nothing we're, it's not as if we're suffering famines anymore or or or, or war or, or what have you um, I think we should bring it back the fasting that we had prior yeah, and, and sure. uh, have have some sort of not, not not but each diocese began teaching on how to, how to fast the history behind fasting and showing it's not as severe as as you may think it is that, that's just my two thoughts yeah for sure that it's really interesting the the whole thing and i i really think that people really need to start trying to do it more often if they would just uh if we did that because i mean our lord very clearly said when we fast and therefore he's assuming that we are going to fast and people try to make give reasons why, like, oh, I can't fast because X, Y, or Z. Some of them are legitimate. Some of them are illegitimate. I think most of them are illegitimate. I think 90% of people probably can fast, and there's probably a very small percentage of people who definitely should not and could not fast. Um, but I would definitely consult with some uh, some people who are more experienced, uh, medically speaking, about fasting, whether or not it's okay for you if you're concerned. But if you're just generally in decent health or you're generally – you don't have any – like noticeable medical problems, then chances are you can fast. So just a FYI. But joining us right now uh, via phone and Zoom chat is Dave Palmer. Good morning to you, Dave Palmer. Uh, one second. Let me see. Dave, are you there? 
Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear awesome. Me? I can hear you now. Perfect. Uh, yeah. Good morning to you, Dave. Have you ever done some fasting before, like real fasting? Oh, yeah, I, I, I did. I, I, several times in my life, I have done a five-day water fast, so five full days with only water. And uh, I know I wouldn't recommend this for everybody, and I'm no doctor, but for me, it was very beneficial uh, spiritually and physically to do that. Um, so uh, I don't know. I'm kind of like the all-or-nothing guy. The the fast with you know one meal and then two meals that are not equal to one meal that that's just hard for me to do. But I'm kind of like if I'm going to fast, I just want to go all out and just just eat nothing. Yeah, I 100% agree. I, I I find the same experience. If I eat a snack, it becomes so much harder for me to not eat the rest of the day. But if I just eat nothing yeah. until dinner, it's much, much easier. I have the same experience. Uh, but I won't rehash the whole fasting topic with you. Let's talk about uh, the topic you're going to be discussing on Back to the Father today. You're going to be talking about the uh, teachings of St. Thomas Aquinas on the Passion of Christ. Uh, tell us about what your plan is here. Yeah, there are a number of questions and many articles in the Summa that have to do with the Passion. So I figured during Lent, we're going to go ahead and focus on the Passion each week uh, during the, what, six or seven weeks of, of Lent. And now that we're preparing for Ash Wednesday next week, I thought this would be a good time to kind of get into it. And the the three articles that we're going to talk about today have to do with the necessity of the Passion, because... I think, you know, do you ever go into a church and you look up and you see the, the crucifix and you think about somebody coming into the church who has no knowledge of Christianity and they're just walking in blind and they look up and they see the principal signal symbol of our faith being basically a guy getting tortured and bloody and nails through his hand and his feet and, a, you know, <clears throat> a, a wound in his side and Somebody's saying, what in the world? I mean, what is this religion all about? And so I think we've just become kind of dead into it, you know, pun intended, because we just, yeah, it's the crucifix, you know, it's Jesus died. Yeah, I show the passion. But I, I think it, it bears asking some questions like, why did it have to be that way? Was this the only way that God could have saved us from our sins? Is this bloody, tortuous death of, of, of God, and and so that that's what Thomas asks in these articles in the Summa. Yeah, it's very interesting. Do you plan to do this during the entire season of Lent, or is it just today you're going to be focusing on that, or is it going to be like an aspect of the Passion every <clears throat> week? Yeah, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm doing. There's enough articles on the Passion where I, you know, unless we just figure like, yeah, I think we've probably covered this material pretty well. There's also things like fasting, you know, Aquinas talks about fasting. So there's a lot, and there's a lot of material you can cover that have to do uh, directly or indirectly with the season of Lent. So, uh, yeah, I think we're going to roll with it for these, uh, through Lent, uh, topics related to the Passion. Yeah, it's a very interesting question. I want to focus on just one aspect of it that maybe you've read already. Well, of course you've read already. You've read through the entirety of the Summa, uh, where he talks about, our Lord, whether or not it was necessary that Christ be crucified. It's very interesting because people get a little confused whenever Thomas uses the word necessary and fitting, um, those kind of terms that he says. Uh, so let's talk about that for just a moment. Uh, Dave Palmer, was it necessary that Christ be crucified? Well, <laughs> as Thomas often does in the Summa, yes and no. 
he, he doesn't want to limit God by saying, you know, God can only open up this one box as he did. And this is the only thing he can do because God can do whatever he wants, you know, as long as he said he doesn't contradict himself. And so was it absolutely necessary to do it exactly the way he did? Thomas would say no. But he also says, was it necessary for the end propose for him to accomplish what he accomplished and what he designed to accomplish, then yes, it was absolutely necessary. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting because he seems to say, you know, it may not be like logically necessary, but it is the most fitting way for it to happen because even the, the blood shed at the circumcision of our Lord would have been sufficient for the salvation of mankind because he is divine. But yet the passion, it fulfills everything in the most perfect way and it shows the most perfect love. I think that's an interesting thing to meditate on. Yeah, you know, I've told the story a number of times during our charathons about the time I was at, I was visiting a parish, and this middle-aged lady uh, was kind of waiting to talk to me until everybody else had dispersed, and finally she came up, and she was just bawling. And I, I said, oh, my goodness, because <laughs> I had given a, a talk at the end of Mass. I was thinking, what did I say you know, to <laughs> this lady? But what she said was, she said she had just tuned into Catholic Radio, you know, a month or two before that, and she said she heard something on Catholic Radio, and for the first time in her life, she realized that God loved, loves her. Wow. And it hit her so hard. And I think that, that so the point is, is that this is what Aquinas says, the end proposed, of course, is our redemption. But then he goes on and says, uh, a couple articles later, was there any more suitable way, you know, was, was, what could have been done that wasn't some way that wasn't so bloody? And he has five reasons why this was the most suitable way. And the first one is that um, by by the way he did it, man knows how much God loves him. Mm. And so I just wonder, you know, how many of us, myself included, really look up at that crucifix as we go into the church and, and internalize that and say, wow, you know, he did this because he loves me. And maybe we'll have that same reaction as that lady had hearing something for the first time and realizing God loves her. For sure. And, you know, I, I don't remember who said this, but they said it wasn't the the nails that hung our Lord to the cross, but it was his love for us. And it's really true. It's not just a sentiment because he is God. At any moment, he could have come down from the cross. He could have just made it, made the cross vanish. He was, he's, he's the Lord of the universe. He can annihilate the, those kind of matter. Uh, yet he chose to stay on the cross out of love for us. And, you know, our Lord commanded us, or he told us rather, there's no greater love to then to lay down one's life for a friend. And what does he do? He doesn't just tell it to us, but he lived that example. What do you think about that, Dave Palmer? Yeah, you know, uh, I, I know you, you're you're not married, Adrian, but uh, those of us who are married and we have kids, I think, uh, you know, may, perhaps men and women alike, but, uh, you know, us men, I can only speak as a man. Sometimes we, we almost fantasize about, you know, doing something heroic for the ones we love, you know, like, saving their life or just showing them how much we love them, you know, protecting them or standing up for them. And it, it's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic because we, we want to show those we love how much we love them. And I think even from a human level, we can realize this is what God did. It's, he's, he's like, you know, what else can I do? Uh, you know, this is how much I love you. And I want to show you that because, yeah, I could have done it other ways. 
it didn't have to be bloody and I didn't have to get scourged and the crown of thorns and you know, all the, the blood and pain, but this is how much I love you. So I think it's, it's worthy of a reflection, especially during Lent, to see what Aquinas had to say about it. Well, I cannot recommend highly enough uh, meditating on St. Thomas all year round, but especially during the holy season of Lent. In fact, we as a CDT team are going to be going through the Aquinas Catechism. He wrote some catechetical instructions, and during the season of Lent, we're actually going to go through them as a team. And to do that, you just join our email list. Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT and join our email list. But if you want to go through the Passion with Dave Palmer in the Summa Theologiae by St. Thomas Aquinas, tune in to Back to the Father. Uh, Dave, where can people watch Back to the Father? Uh, we're on all the social media platforms of One Day Radio Network, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook, uh, 1 o'clock Central every Friday. So 1 o'clock Central every Friday during Lent, starting today, and you can cover the passion with Dave Palmer. But we're going to go into our game show, Fear and Trembling. Make sure you call 877-757-9424 is a number. We're waiting for your call, 877-757-9424. We'll be right back. Holy raffle, Batman! The GRN is raffling off a Mercedes-Benz CLA 250C. If we win, that could be our new Batmobile. Great idea, Robin. Uh, how do we get tickets? Easy, Batman. Just go to grnonline.com or call 888-784-3476. Tickets are $25 for one or $100 for five. I knew you were good for something. Quick, hand me my bat phone. I promise to love you in good times and in bad, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. On your wedding day, you made this vow to your spouse in the presence of God and all those present. These are not words to be taken lightly. And the reality is that the responsibilities of marriage and family can be challenging at times. Good times can become bad in the blink of an eye. Things like financial hardship and sickness, among others, very often bring about fears and anxieties that make it difficult to be as loving as we should be. There is a simple Latin phrase to keep on hand when fear and anxiety take over our thoughts. Quid est hoc ad aeternitatum? What is this in the light of eternity? In other words, keep things in proper perspective. While the challenges here on this earth seem like a big deal at the moment, they are but a flash in the pan compared to all of eternity in heaven. This has been a minute for your marriage and family from the Three Hearts Institute. Check us out on Facebook. Hi, I'm Debbie Giorgiani. And I'm Adam Bly. We're the hosts of The Spirit World every Saturday morning on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Join us as we help answer your questions on angels, demons, and how the physical and spiritual worlds interact. That's The Spirit World from the Station of the Cross studios every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. <laughs> the Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. That's the number to call to be a contestant on our fear and trembling game show where we give out prizes. And today is Friday, which means... 
We're going to be drawing a name out of the coffee cup of divine providence to give away this week's prize. How do you win, you may ask? You All you have to do is call 877-757-9424. When you call 877-757-9424, you'll be a contestant on our Fear and Trembling game show. And we don't ask you the questions, dear listener, so you don't have to worry about it. It's not going to be difficult, I promise. I'm going to ask Tito and Rudy the question, and they're going to give me an answer. And when they do... And your job is to tell me who's right, who's wrong, which means you have a 50-50 chance of getting it right every single time. The number to call is 877-757-9424. The number is 877-757-9424. Our phone lines are wide open at the moment, which means that the next caller will be our contestant on the game show. That number one more time is 877 757 9424. I always uh, say things too quickly, I've been told, so I try to give that number just a little bit slower. Uh, but this week's prize, Tito, what could they win? They could win a CDD game prize pack, which includes a coffee cup with a divine uh, image on it. It's the uh, the coffee cup of divine providence. Providence. Is what way. And, uh, the, and we also will be signing the coffee cup of divine providence, which this will be the first coffee cup of divine providence signed by tito edwards wow it's a collector's item so make sure you do call in and when we uh we will jump into the game show in just one moment so thank you to everybody who called in and when uh if you didn't make it onto the show today well just save that number on speed dial because starting uh next week we have all new game show right so that means you can call in next week and you can still win prizes next week. But joining us right now is, uh, let's see, how do you say your name from San Antonio? Uh, Lesbia Blakely. Lesbia. Good morning to you, Lesbia. Yeah. Good morning to you, Lesbia. Good morning. Uh, could you uh, turn down your, your radio? It's, uh, don't, we're hearing an echo a little bit. Okay. All Thank right. you very mm-hmm. much. Uh, Lesbia, where are you off to today? I'm sorry? Uh, where are you off to today? Where off? Yeah, where are you headed? Oh, um, I'm waiting uh, to get my medication now. <laughs> okay, wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. Uh, do you have anything exciting planned for the weekend? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Try to um, um, gather with my family together this weekend. Uh-huh. That's good. Praise be to God. It's a good thing to, you want to spend time with family. That's one of my favorite pastimes is hanging out with my parents. I uh, love it mm-hmm. very, very much. Well, Lesbia, do you know how the game is played? I listened before. Yeah, listen Perfect. Before. Well, real quick, a refresher. Um, I'm going to ask three questions, um, but I'm not going to ask you. Okay. I'm going to ask Rudy, and I'm going to ask Tito the questions. And it's going to be their job to tell me the answer. And it's going to be your job to discern who is right and who is wrong. So you get a 50-50 chance of getting it right. And every right answer gets you an entry into the coffee cup of Divine Providence to win this week's prize, which is a CDT prize pack, including a, a coffee cup of Divine Providence replica. And we're probably going to throw in a book by that was published by Sophia Press on from Fulton Sheen, the anthology. So we're going to probably give that its way as well with it. 
Uh, thank you to Alan Smith for, for donating that to us. But are you ready to play the game, Lesbia? Yes, yes, ready. Awesome. Well, let's jump in. Uh, Rudy, let's start with you, as is our custom. Praise be to God. The question is, what are the names of Mary's parents? And Tito, can you turn down the, the volume just a tad bit there? Uh, what are the names of Mary's parents? Yes, the the parents of Our Lady. What? Must have been amazing to be the parents of Our Lady. That's going to be St. Joachim and Anne. St. Joachim and Anne. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, same question to you, Tito. The question is, what are the names of Mary's parents? The names of Mary's parents, I want to say they are... Joseph and Esther. Joseph and Esther. I do know a Joseph and Esther, a Jewish couple, actually. Um, so Really? Hmm, very interesting. <laughs> very interesting. Okay. Well, those are two very good answers there. Um, Lesbia, what say you? What are the names of Mary's parents? Rudy seems to think that it's Saints Joachim and Anne, or sorry, uh, Joachim and Anne. Sorry, okay. I say Joachim well, for some reason. Both are okay. Both are so. okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, and Tito says it's Joseph and Esther. Lesbia, 15 seconds on the clock. What say you? Is it Rudy or is it Tito? Who's right? Who's wrong? Rudy. Rudy. Is is wrong or right? Right. That's right. Way to go. Way to go, Lesbia. Easy peasy. I told you the questions are going to be a breeze today. So don't you worry. You are in the coffee cup of Divine Providence one time already. Are you ready for question number two? Yes. And just to reiterate, yes, St. Joachim yes. and Anne yes. are the names of Mary's parents. Just FYI, yes. Uh, I, For some reason, I don't know where I heard this, but I always pronounce it Joachim. Let me know if that's a, <laughs> is, is that a completely made-up pronunciation. Let me know. Uh, the second question is, what is a canonically erected monastery of at least 12 monks or nuns called? This question is going to go to Tito. Uh, what say you, Tito? What say I? Uh, let's see. Clear Creek. Uh, they were levi- levi- levitated or levi- I'd say Abbey. Okay. Abbey. Clear Creek Abbey, you say? Yes. I've been to Clear Creek Abbey. That's over in Oklahoma. Right? Not, not too far down the road from, from Texas. Okay. Uh, well, the same question to Rudy. Rudy, the question is, what is a canonically erected monastery of at least 12 monks or nuns called? That is what's known as a cloister. But if the habits are black, it's also known as a murder. So it just oh, depends. Wow. Either a cloister or a murder, depending on the vestments. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Lesbia, that's a very interesting answer, I think. Uh, what is a canonically erected monastery of at least 12 monks or nuns called, is the question, Lesbia. Uh, Rudy seems to think that it's called a cloister if they're wearing black, but if it's a different color, then it's a murder. Um, okay, well, that's very interesting. Well, let's go to Tito's answer. Tito's answer was an abbey. Lesbia, what say you? Was it Rudy? Was it Tito? 15 seconds on the clock. What say you, Lesbia? The second one. The second one. Uh, Tito? Uh-huh. Okay. There you go. Correct. Way to go, Lesbia. Two for two so far. Congratulations to you. You are on your path to a uh, three for a three for 
for a uh, a full house or a touchdown, um, a as the hockey people would say, a home run. Uh, I'm not very good at my my sports metaphors apparently, but are you ready for your question number three? Ready. Let's do it. Let's jump right in, Rudy. Question goes to you. All right. Who is the patron saint of messengers and postal employees? Uh, <laughs> we need his intercession evermore because of the USPS. You know, they're always losing my packages. Same, What's up dude. with that, USPS? St. Gabriel, pray for us. St. Gabriel, please bring me my packages. All right. <laughs> Maybe don't. Uh, you're going to spook me. And imagine. Please that'd don't. That would be so cool. St. Gabriel just like appears and just like hands you your package. Like, here you go. Oh, thanks. <laughs> it's like, thanks. I was looking for my bar of soap. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Same question to you, Tito. Who is the patron saint of messengers and postal employees? This patron saint, I would say St. Raphael. St. Raphael. Yes. Okay, the turtle? The, the turtle. The ninja turtle. The, no, no, the no. The, the angel. Oh, the, the angel. angel. The yes. angel Raphael. Okay. No pizza here. All right. Lesbia, uh, Tito seems to think that Raphael, the archangel, not the ninja turtle, is the patron saint of messengers and postal employees, while Rudy seems to think that it's St. Gabriel, the one who appeared to Our Lady. Uh, what say you, Lesbia? Is it Rudy? Is it Tito? Is it St. Gabriel? Is it St. Raphael? What say you, Lesbia? Raphael? Raphael? No. Are you sure, St. Raphael? You certain? Uh, Gabriel. Gabriel. You want to go with Gabriel? Okay. Uh-huh. Gabriel it is. Tito? Is he right? Is she right? She's there right. you go! <laughs> you overcome the trickiness of Rudy and Tito. But yes... St. Gabriel, because he was a messenger who delivered the message to Our Lady, mm-hmm. she yeah. uh, he became the patron saint of messengers. But let's jump into our uh, our giveaway, drawing. our drawing. Uh, Tito is shaking up the coffee cup of divine providence as we speak, and he's about to draw a name. Let's see what God's holy will is on whose name gets drawn from the coffee cup of divine providence. And he has a name. We have a winner. And her name is Norma Dominguez. Norma! Norma! Congratulations! Go, Norma. Well, Lesbia, you, we didn't draw your name, but thank you so much for calling in today. All right, thank you. Make sure you call back in in a month or two, and maybe you'll win next time you call in. Yeah, yeah, thanks. All right, God bless you, Lesbia. Thank you for calling in. And that's going to conclude our show today. Uh, Tito, can you make sure our mics are turned back up to... Uh, the cinder there but thank you very much and say a prayer for uh for for tito he's uh dealing with running the board for the first time lots going on there but i thought he was fairly successful what say you let us know what you thought and we're going to be concluding our show we'll be jumping into our after show right now if you want to join us for the after show Join us on our social media streams. Go to YouTube, Facebook, Rumble, Odyssey. Just look up Catholic Drive Time, and you can join us live there and participate in a conversation directly with us. If not, we'll see you back on Monday, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, across the Guadalupe Radio Network. And God love you. Have a blessed weekend. And remember, don't work on Sundays. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. 
Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Welcome to Holy Mass, coming from Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel, the home of the Salt community. For more information, please see salt.net. Today we celebrate the memorial of the seven holy founders of the Servite Order. This Mass is offered for the intentions of our online viewers and for those listening to us through Guadalupe Radio. These are the holy ones who have received blessings from the Lord and mercy from the God who saves them. Such is the people who seek the Lord. These are the holy ones who have received blessings from the Lord and mercy from the God who saves them. Such is the people who seek the Lord. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Lord be with you. Today we celebrate the memorial of the seven holy founders of the Servite Order. These were seven men living in the 1200s in Florence in central Italy. They were all of noble families of the merchant class. Two, three of them had been unmarried, two married, two widowers. All of them were very devoted to the Lord and to the Virgin Mary. It was in the year 1233 that they all separately experienced the same virgin, vision of the Blessed Virgin Mary, inviting them to leave the world and devote themselves to eternal things. They joined together, moved outside of Florence, soon moved to a mountain nearby. It was in the year 1240 that they organized and soon gained papal approval, becoming the Servites. It was on this day in the year 1310 that the last of them living, Brother Alexis, died. Today, there are priests and brothers, cloistered nuns, active sisters, lay groups spread throughout the world, including in the United States. Brethren, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. You were sent to heal the contrite of heart. Lord, have mercy. You came to call sinners. Christ, have mercy. You are seated at the right hand of the Father to intercede for us. Lord, have mercy. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Let us pray. Impart to us, O Lord, in kindness, the filial devotion with which the holy brothers venerated so devoutly the Mother of God, 
and led your people to yourself. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. reading from the book of Genesis. The whole world spoke the same language, using the same words. While the people were migrating in the east, they came upon a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, Come, let us mold bricks and harden them with fire. They used bricks for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky, and so make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered all over the earth. The Lord came down to see the tower and the city that they had built. Then the Lord said, If now, while they are one people, all speaking the same language, they have started to do this, nothing will stop them later from doing whatever they presume to do. Let us go down and there confuse their language, so that one will not understand what another says. Thus the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the speech of all the world. It was from that place that he scattered them all over the earth. The word of the Lord. Blessed the people the Lord has chosen to be his own. Blessed the people the Lord has chosen to be his own. The Lord brings to naught the plans of nations. He foils the designs of peoples. But the plan of the Lord stands forever, the design of his heart through all generations. Blessed the people the Lord has chosen to be his own. Blessed the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen for his own inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down. He sees all mankind. From his fixed throne he beholds all who dwell on the earth, he who fashioned the heart of each, he who knows all their works. Blessed the people the Lord Lord has chosen to be his own. Alleluia, 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 alleluia. I call you my friends, says the Lord, for I have made known to you all that the Father has told me. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and that of the gospel will save it. What profit is there for one to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? What could one give in exchange for his life? 
Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this faithless and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. He also said to them, Amen, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see that the kingdom of God has come in power. The Gospel of the Lord. Today in our first reading from the book of Genesis, we hear the account of the Tower of Babel. And we notice this project that the people were working on in a united way. But though the text is not explicit about this, it seems that they are motivated by a sort of pride. This is something they were going to do together apart from God, right? And in this way, they're matching that same first sin that we heard about last week. Adam and Eve were thinking on their own that they could become like God. And the people seem to have thought that on their own, not working with God, not being in relationship with God, they could build this tower. And indeed, considering the Babylonian towers that would come later, it may be that they even thought by reaching up so high with their tower, they could control God. Well, with this sense of pride, it's perhaps not so surprising that Pride separating themselves from God soon turned to pride separating themselves from each other, right? Because in pride, if we're closing ourselves up from God, saying, I can do this all on my own, I can be powerful, the most powerful, I can be in charge, I can know the most, I can do the most, soon we're closing ourselves off from other people, not hearing them, not caring about them, speaking different languages, if not literally and certainly figuratively, not even speaking the same language. And how sad. This disunity in the human race we experience on a national level, at all sorts of levels, even all the way down to families and marriages, we experience this disunity. And at times we long for that unity, to be joined, to be close, to know each other, to hear each other. Though at other times, we do a lot to create the disunity ourselves. You and me, we do it. The same reading is read on the vigil of the Feast of Pentecost. Because this disunity caused by pride at the Tower of Babel in the book of Genesis is then reversed on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem in the upper room, brought about by the Holy Spirit by the love of the Holy Spirit, by the fire of the Holy Spirit, at work within the hearts of each one of those apostles and of those first members of the church, and bringing it about that when they went out to preach, the people from all different parts of the ancient world, speaking different languages, could understand them. The Holy Spirit brought unity to human disunity. Holy Spirit is still seeking to do that in your life and mine. As with all matters of grace, we need to cooperate with that grace. The Holy Spirit wants to work this within us, but are we working with Him? We know that the church has been preparing for the synod and synodality. We sometimes ask, what is synodality? I would say that at its pure heart, synodality means 
that we listen to each other. That even someone who's very different from us might be mistaken in different ways. And again, maybe we're mistaken in different ways. That we listen to them, hear their thoughts, hear their experiences, hear their hearts. Let them be heard. And vice versa, that they hear us. We know that we can practice this in different ways, not only in church meetings, but as we go about our days, certainly including in our families and in our marriages. How important to take time, even formally, perhaps once a month, spouses, to sit down, reserve 60, 90 minutes to talk about how the past month has gone, prayerfully. How have things gone in all aspects of life and marriage what they want to do going forward. Surely we can take certain communication strategies to help this to occur. Even active listening, perhaps repeating back to the person you're talking to what you heard them say. This helps them to feel heard and also if you're getting it wrong gives them a chance to clarify your misunderstanding. In these and many other ways, including praying together, drawing close to where the Holy Spirit leads us, separately and together. The Lord may reach into our disunity, which we have created through our pride, and by His love, gently bring us into unity, one in heart, just as we saw with those seven brothers who founded the Servite Order, brought together into beautiful unity, the opposite of pride and sin. Brothers and sisters, sorry, I lost my place here. United in the love of Christ, let us pray for all people. That the church may be born and spread in those places where it has not yet been planted. Let us pray to the Lord. That the transformations that occur in our world may bring benefit to the good of all people. Let us pray to the Lord. That all who are terminally ill may not lose hope in eternal rewards. Let us pray to the Lord. That the Holy Spirit may strengthen our faith and make our love more sensitive and attentive. Let us pray to the Lord. that throughout this day that now begins we may seek whatever is true, just, and worthy. Let us pray to the Lord. O Lord our God, we ask that you receive our prayer which we have presented to you in the firm hope that we will be heard through Christ our Lord. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you, fruit of the earth and work of human hands, 
it will become for us the bread of life. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you, fruit of the vine and work of human hands. It will become our spiritual drink. Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May these offerings of our service, placed on your altar in commemoration of the blessed founders of the Servite Order, be acceptable to you, O Lord, we pray and grant that, released from earthly attachments, we may have our riches in you alone. Through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks, Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, through Christ our Lord. For in the marvelous confession of your saints, you make your church fruitful with strength ever new, and offer us sure signs of your love, and that your saving mysteries may be fulfilled. Their great example lends us courage. Their fervent prayers sustain us in all we do. And so, Lord, with all the angels and saints, we too give you thanks as an exaltation we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Plenis Uncelli et Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosahana, in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts, we pray by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and giving thanks broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it. For this is my body, which will be given up for you.
In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith. Save us, Savior of the world, for by your cross and resurrection you have set us free. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world and bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis our Pope and Michael our Bishop and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with Blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the Blessed Apostles, and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. At the Savior's command and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tollis peccata mundi, miserere nobis, 
Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. For those who are unable to receive our Lord sacramentally in Holy Communion, we invite you to pray the act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things and I desire to receive you into my soul, since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally. Come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you are already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed the man who seeks refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed the man who seeks refuge in him. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed the man who seeks refuge in him. Let us pray. We pray, Almighty God, that we who are fortified by the power of this sacrament may learn through the example of the blessed founders of the Servite Order to seek you always above all things and to bear in this world the likeness of the new man. Through Christ our Lord, The Lord be with you. 
Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. Ave Regina Celorum, Ave Domina Angelorum, Salve Radic, Salve Porta, Ex qua mundo lux est torta, Gaude Virgo Gloriosa, Super Omnes Pecigosa, The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg Thee through the intercession and help of the Archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Celebrating the culture of life, this is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Hi, I'm Jessica Idolette from Prince of Peace. You're listening to AM 1430, KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul.